Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17 is where we're going to be tonight. Paul continues and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow God by, somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now we're going to do our best to try to cover these verses and whatever we don't finish we'll pick up next week. But Paul in this section here brags on the church there in Rome because word had already spread about their faith in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 8 again. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, I, I want to just chase this for a second. There's something here I want you to see. I'm going to take you to go to First Thessalonians with me. You'll notice that Paul said this a few times about churches that were living the life of Christ and allowing the life of Christ in them, the reality of Christ in them to be seen in such a way that word was spreading. In other words, they didn't have to go tell everybody what was going on in their church. It just was being told by everybody else. And that's what I want to kind of chase for a little bit. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, and by the way, they went through struggle. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we don't need to say anything. Look at that. He says, it was obvious that what happened in your area when I came and preached was of God and how you responded and the evidence of the Spirit. And we don't even have to tell anybody what's going on because what's happening is so real, people are talking about it themselves. Go over to 2 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1 and what he says there in verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, writing to them again. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. So again, here he's saying, Word has already been spreading about what God's doing, and as we travel around, we're bragging on what God's done there. So I'm going to ask you a question tonight, and I don't want you to answer it. I want you to think about the answer. 
The local congregation you go to, because I want to say, well, what are they saying about your church? It's not, you know, it, as you know, there's a universal church and there's just different groups that of the universal church that are meeting. But what's being said about your local congregation of where you are? What's being said about the church you attend? And we just let the Lord kind of speak to you there. I, I'm not against us going out and telling people, hey, you got to come see what's going on and what God's doing at our church. I have no problem with that. As Paul said, he was bragging on other churches. But at the same time, I unfortunately have been grieved a little bit over the years by how many churches spend so many thousands of dollars in marketing. When actually the Bible's real clear that if we just let Jesus do what he wants to do through us, word's going to get out. People are just going to talk about it. We don't have to tell everybody, go out and tell people. If the early apostles were told not to tell anybody, and they said, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Yet we get all these different methods and strategies to get people to get out and talk to people about Jesus. Well, actually, I think if we would just spend a little more time with Jesus, we wouldn't have to worry about all these strategies to tell people about him. It would just fall out of us, splash out of us as we just hang out with him. So I'm going to encourage you, stop trying to go tell more people and spend more time with Jesus and watch what happens. People will actually start coming to you to ask you for reason for the hope that lies within you. Now, Paul had decided, we see him back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, he's decided and desired, sorry, not decided, he desired to meet them and use the calling that God had given him and the gifts that God had given him in their situation. Look again at what he says here. As you remember, as we said last week, he's not been to this church yet. He hasn't met these people. This isn't a church he started. He says in verse 9, he says, For God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. So here he says, I have always wanted to come to you. Once I heard about y'all, I wanted to come and I wanted to use the gifts God's given me that I could strengthen and encourage you. By the way, if God's given you a gift, and by the way, the Bible is very clear that he has. And we're going to touch on that a little bit tonight. Your desire should be to use that gift in the lives of other people. That should, my wife will tell you, if I get to preach and I get to travel and preach, I'm like a kid at Christmas. This is actually the third time that I've gotten to preach today. I preached for an hour at First Baptist Melbourne to the leadership of the radio station, which I do every so often. Got to pour the, bring the word to them and encourage them for an hour. And then after that, I Went and got something to drink at the convenience store to get my 44-ounce soda and then hustled over to Central Baptist to speak at Men in Motion and encourage the men there like I have had the privilege to do for many, many years and through the Word. And, and then here I am again, ready to share the Word, not only with those that are here, but those that are online. And I love using the gifts God's given me. And if you've been given gifts, you should have within you as well a desire to go use them. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me show you. This should be the desire of all of us. Let say, Jim, I'm not a preacher. I didn't say the gift of preaching. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So look what he says. Whoever's received a gift, use it in serving other people. You should have a desire to go use whatever gift you've been given to bless other people and encourage them and strengthen them. Whatever that gift is, I'm going to encourage you. Pray that God would put in you a hunger to go use it somewhere. Now, I'm going to also, though, give you a caution. We, too, though, like Paul, should wait until the time that God has planned that it's right. I've been a pastor for many years, and one of the problems in the churches is you've got people who think, well, I've got this gift, and I need to use it. Well, as you may or may not know, that was one of the problems in the early church, especially in Corinth. They had a bunch of people that all had these different gifts, and they all wanted to come together and use it all at the same time. They all, two or three, four wanted to preach, two or three or four wanted to sing, and two or three wanted to do this. And, you know, just because God's given you a gift doesn't mean that you're supposed to use it right there and right then whenever you want. Actually, the Bible teaches that even though he's given you a gift, and even though we should have a desire to use it in the lives of the people around us, we should also be waiting upon the Spirit to say, okay, now. I've had a call in my life to preach for many, many years. And I've had a desire to actually travel and teach and preach the word around the country, which is what I'm doing now. But it wasn't the time when I first started. My poor wife will tell you, when she and I first got married over 30 years ago, I dragged her all over the country trying to go travel and speak because I knew God had put that on my heart. And I was a young guy. I was doing Christian comedy. I really did. I, I actually would travel around the country doing Christian comedy, and that was what I would use to get in open door at a church, and I would speak to youth groups and different things, and then I'd preach after I was done doing comedy. My poor wife patiently was putting up with it as I dragged her all over the country, and it wasn't time, and it wasn't God's plan, and we struggled a little bit. And I had to go through years of being a youth pastor and an associate pastor and a senior pastor in Chicago, and then senior pastor here in Florida before God finally said, okay, what I've put in your heart, you've been exercising your gift, you've been fanning it into flame, now it's time for what I really have for you and have had on your heart all along to happen. When I resigned the pastorate here at this church to go into this traveling ministry over 16 years ago now, a lady ran up to my wife and said, when did you know about this? And Becky's answer was so awesome, she said, I knew when I married him, it just took a while. Paul had a desire to go see them, but he was also wise enough to know, I'm going to wait on God's time. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's learn a couple of things from what Paul had to deal with in the chaos there in the church in Corinth. Look at chapter 14, verse 26, and then we're going to jump back to chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, this kind of illustrates what I was just telling you. He said, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He said, let all things be done for building up. And at that point, they didn't understand the Holy Spirit not only giving the gifts, but also saying when it was time. Well, I want to teach a Sunday school class, and they won't let me. Well, can man really stop what God wants to do? Exactly. Maybe it's not time. Take your eyes off a of man and put them back on God. If he wants you to be somewhere and he wants to use your gifts, you'll end up being there. What a door, door God opens, no man can shut. And what door he shuts, no man can open. 
And one of the things we've got to learn is, is learning to balance. You're going to see this balance through our study tonight. We've got to learn this balance of having a desire to be used of God. I want to be looking to use the gifts He's given me. How can I encourage people? How can I strengthen them? How can I point them to the Lord and the gifts He's given me? Yet, I also don't want to be a bull in a china shop and try to go say, well, I've got a gift and you need to use it. Or you need to be blessed by it. We've all had the person that thought they had the gift of solo and singing in the church when they didn't. <clears throat> Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 4 through 11. Look at what he says here. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one, the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, and that actually means actual languages. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So he's just laid out here that God's the one who determines what our gifts are and everybody's gifts are different. Now, go over to verse 18. <clears throat> he then goes on, he says, but as it is, God has arranged the members or the body parts in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now, if all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have any need of you, nor again, the head of the feet, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body and that the men, members of the body parts all have, have the same care for one another. If one part suffers, all suffer together. If one part is honored, all rejoice together. Now listen, you are the body of Christ and individually members are parts of it. He just said that there's in the body is God's designed and just like in our human bodies, there's all these different parts. Some are more noticeable than the others. But they're all necessary. And let me just illustrate it to you this way. This afternoon, a man came to me and he said, I'm not able to go to your Bible studies, but I want to follow along. How do I do it? And I could send him to the website, Thomas, and say, there's a young man and his wife that have been taking care of the Bible study sound and the recordings. Go to our website and click on the Bible studies so you can listen. I said, if you want to go and follow with us live, i got another body part over here, name's Elise, and she's taking care of all that. Those of you that are watching with us right now are able to watch later on. I don't know if you know it, but there's so many that watch live, but then by the end of the week, there are hundreds who have already tuned in and watched the video of the Bible study around the country. And unfortunately, Elise, I could tell them how to get to Thomas's part. I could not explain how to do it on this part. You know why? Uh, that's not my part of the body. I'm just a preacher. That's not my part of the body. But think of how much Just a Preacher Ministries would be lacking if all there was was me and preaching and teaching the word and not the people that take care of the websites, the banking, all the other stuff, the correspondences, Becky with putting together the cruise stuff and all the folks, we need each other. But 
Don't be a bull in the china shop and say, well, I have this gift and I'm going to use it. No. Paul knew that as much as he desired to be used of God to bless them with the gifts that he had been given, he also knew it wasn't time. But at this point, he's starting to realize that it's getting close to time. Go to Romans chapter 15. Look at what he says here. In Romans 15, we'll start in verse 22. He said, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have room for any work in these areas, in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they are pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and I have been delivered to them, sorry, completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul said, I think it's time now. But I got this trip I got to take quick. I've collected this love offering and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and it's been collected for the poor Christians there. And I'm going to pass it on to them. And then I'm planning to go to to Spain and I want to go by way of you. And I'm hoping, don't miss this, because we're going to chase some tonight that you might not have ever thought you'd see in Romans 1 here. He says, I hope to be helped along in my journey by you. Here's what I want to talk about. Paul said, I wanted to come in chapter one. I wanted to come. I've been wanting to come and encourage you and strengthen you with some of the gifting I've been given. But I also need you to encourage me. Go back and look again at what he says there in verse nine and following. For God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. This is Romans one, verse nine. For God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in, in the gospel of his, of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, and that is we may mutual, be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The body of Christ actually loving each other is an encouragement to church leaders. I, I can't stress that to you enough. I, I told Warren tonight, they were in front of us. My wife doesn't even know I t- told you this, but we were in church Sunday, and while we were all standing there singing, Warren and his wife were all, Warren and Carol were all, they are kind of down in front of us a little bit. They were holding hands. I saw you guys. How many years have you been married now? 25 next year. And they have been, they were standing in church holding hands. And that was an encouragement to me. You know why? Because I was standing there singing, holding my wife's hand at the same time. But it was such a neat thing, having been a pastor and having to deal with so many marriages that are on the rocks, to see a healthy marriage. And it was an encouragement to me. I don't think you guys realize how much when we love each other, And actually let Jesus do what he wants to do in our lives. What an encouragement we are, not only to each other, but also to the church leaders around us. 
Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. As I told you, Paul's already bragged on this church because it's been evident what God's done there and word has spread. But look at what he says in chapter 2. He says, for you yourselves know, First chapter 2, verse 1, I'm sorry, thank you. For yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. All right, so he says, we came and shared the gospel with you, but then there was conflict. Now jump over and look at what he says in chapter 3. I start in verse 17, verse, chapter 2, verse 17. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 17. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain." But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this brothers, reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Listen to what he said. When we were with you, as you know, we were chased out of town. And a great persecution broke out against us and against you. And we had to leave. And we wondered, did what started there stick? Was it real? And when we couldn't take it anymore, we sent Timothy and had him leave us. And he went and checked. And he's come back and told us, not only are you guys doing well, you're growing in your walk with the Lord. You remember us fondly. You love us. Having pastored different churches around this country, I thank God that we live in the day and age in which I can stay in touch with people that we've known over the years and to see them growing in their walk with the Lord and seeing God using them in different parts of the country now and the globe. It's an encouragement to us in leadership. And folks, you may not realize it, but you might be an encouragement to the people around you because if they know you're a Christian, they're watching you. They want to see something that's real in this day and age when so many people talk a good game. Go to Philemon, verses 4 through 7. Philemon, verses 4 through 7. Mm -hmm. I always bait you with some way to someone say, what chapter? You've, there's only one chapter. Philemon, verses 4 through 7. Look at what Paul says to Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I, heard, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He's writing to this man, and he's going to have to give him some strong encouragement in his letter 
But he starts off by saying, you have been a strong leader, a good godly leader in the church, and God's used you to encourage people, and I need you to encourage me right now by responding well to what I'm about to ask you to do. Go to Hebrews 13. You're one book over to the right. Look at verses 17 through 19. Look what the Hebrew writer says here. Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 19. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Again, look what he says. Obey your leaders in the church and submit to their authority. You may not always agree with the decisions, but it's not your church. It's the Lord's church. And he's determined who's in charge. He puts people in authority. He takes them out. But we've had this attitude in our churches nowadays. Of, well, this is my church and I need to defend it. No, God doesn't need you to defend his church. He's a big boy. He can handle himself and he can take care of his church. But he also says, listen, it'll actually be a blessing to you if you'd actually just submit to your leaders. Don't make their, bur their, their ministry a burden. I deal with too many pastors right now who spend most of their time fighting to get what God wants done done. Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those people. So Paul said, I wanted to come and encourage you, but I also want you to encourage me. So one of the ways that you can encourage each other and your leaders is by loving each other and letting the Lord work through you. But there's another way. God is also, and we've seen it hinted at in chapter 15, and I'm going to come back to it some more in Romans 1. God's also designed that as the spiritual leaders blessed the body with spiritual food and spiritual blessings, the body was also to bless the leaders with money for physical food and physical blessings. I don't know if you caught that in some of the things that we read, and I'm going to show you it a little bit more here. We just saw how he said, I, I want to come and bless you, but I also want to reap a harvest from you. And there's two aspects of that reaping a harvest. And we, he hinted at one of them in chapter 15. He said, I want to be helped by you on my ministry on the way to Spain. What he was saying was, I've learned that God's going to take care of me as I go and I'm living this ministry, trusting the Lord to provide, and I think he wants to use you to help me get to Spain. And so I'm going to not only take this money that I've collected for the poor in Jerusalem, I'm hoping that when I come see you, you'll help financially get me to Spain. We're going to chase something here tonight that we might take a chunk of time to do because we really, really need to, and I'm not afraid to deal with it because a lot of pastors, unfortunately, are because they think that it's self-serving when they preach about money and giving and supporting ministries and supporting pastors. And they're afraid to talk about money. But I'm not worried about it because it's in the Bible and we're going to cover it. But you need to hear the balance that's here, though. There's a warning on both sides. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verses 17 through 18. We're going to lay a, a, a theological foundation here, a doctrinal foundation of what the Scripture says when it comes to this area of ministry. In 1 Timothy 5, look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And by the way, that doesn't mean you call them reverend or give them a parking space. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching... For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So when the scripture says that those who serve well in leadership in the church are worthy of double honor, what's it talking about? 
Money, financially. The context clearly states it's money. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 9. Look what Paul says in verses 1 through 18. Paul has his whole life in ministry understood this principle that God had designed that the church would support the ministers. But because there were those who were accusing him of being in it for the money, he would not take advantage of this right that he had, and he did it free of charge. But listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 18. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and of Cephas, that's Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say thing, these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God's concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For I if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Now what then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So what he says is this. God's plan all along, you trace it all the way back to the law, was that those who serve in ministry should get their money and their livelihood and their support from the ministry. The people should be taking care of them. But I... Don't also want you to think that we're supposed to be doing this for the money. And so to prove that, I don't charge. I don't do this for money. So there's this balance. And I want you to listen closely to what, what I'm saying here. Preachers, missionaries, etc. should be willing to preach the word free of charge. If you go back to Matthew chapter 10... Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And by the way, if you want to look at it later on, it's Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. And when he sends his disciples out two by two, he says to them this. He says, freely you've received, freely give. In other words, don't go say, I'll tell you the gospel if you give me some money. There should never be, if you make a donation, we'll give you this teaching. The gospel and the word of God should always be free. Well, Jim, how are we going to cover expenses? 
That's where God comes in. This is the same Jesus that when he said, I want you to freely preach the gospel, don't charge ever to hear it. He also said, and I also want you to do something stupid. I want you to go out on this journey that's going to take you days and weeks and months. And you're going to go town to town. And I don't want you to bring a change of clothes. I don't want you to bring any money. And I don't want you to pack a lunch. In other words, I'm asking you to go out and trust that I'm going to take care of you. And don't you dare charge for the ministry. But over the years, folks, because people have kind of gotten away from trusting God, many preachers and many ministries will say, we'll send you this if you give us first. And I think the Bible teaches that's wrong. Just the preacher ministries does not charge. By the way, you'd be amazed how many people, when they hear about my ministry, the first thing the churches will say is, well, what do you charge? And I will tell you what I tell them every time. We will come for nothing. We will pay, our, pay for our own plane ticket, our own hotel, our own meals, our own rental car. If you give us something, great. If you give us nothing, God's going to take care of us. And let me tell you, folks, he has. He has. Go ahead. So God, Jesus, gave us the gospel, the good news to give to the world. The world doesn't know him. It's not a part of him. Exactly. You're a part of the body, so it's up to the body to feed itself. Yes. And here's where we're going to get to the second part of it. What he was just saying, we share the gospel. We're to share the gospel with the world and not charge. But here's another thing, though. When we share with the body, we should never do it for money either. The body, though, at the same time, as even though the preacher says, I'm going to give this to you free, the body's return attitude should be, but we still want to give you money. Do you understand the difference here? Let me, there are preachers that are out there for the sake of money. We, we know them all. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verses 3 through 10. Look at what Paul says here. He said, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, meaning financial gain. But he goes on, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here's what I want you to hear. Paul said, I wanted to come to you, and I still want to come, and I want to reap a harvest amongst you. And we're going to talk about that harvest a little bit more in a second. What I want is I want to be able to be used to God to bless you, but I also want you to bless me. I want to be blessed by you to be able to go on into Spain and you help me along that, that way. But even if you don't, God will take care of me and I'm still going to Spain. There's that balance of the preacher should not be in it for the money, trusting God to take care of them. Yet at the same time, the people's attitude should be, you've blessed us spiritually. We want to bless you physically with financial blessing. 
Avoiding the danger of falling into the temptation of loving money and all that, that's just going to be the balance you're going to have to dance. Well, actually, go to Philippians chapter 4. Look at how Paul explains it in Philippians 4. Actually, we'll go back to Philippians 3 to start with, and then we'll jump to 4. Philippians 3. Actually, now we'll stay in 4. I'm sorry. I've just... I got to finish sometime tonight. Let's go to Philippians 4. Go to verse 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, before I go any further, listen to what he said. He said, you hadn't been able to help out financially, but now you've been able to do so. But please listen to me. I'm not sharing this with you because I'm in need. I've learned the secret. The secret is whether I have a lot or a little, I'm going to be fine because God's the one that's going to take care of me. I've learned the secret of being content. God will take care of me. And there's going to be times of blessing, but I better not put my confidence in that because it's not that that's going to take care of me. It's God. And there's going to be times when it's going to be a little tight. We've experienced both. Many of you probably have as well. But as you look back over your life, he's already always walked you through it, has he not? Learn the secret. He said, I've learned the secret. So what I'm talking to you about when it comes to giving, Paul said, is not because I really need you to help me out. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and, I am, and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look what he said. He said, I'm not talking about this because I'm in need. I'm talking about this because I want you to receive the blessing. And that's what I want you to give. And he breaks all the rules of Christian ministries. How often have we heard ministries say, we just need so many more monthly supporters and we'll make it? You ever heard that? We just need so many. He says, you're the only church that took, care, that, that took care to give. And we're fine. And then he does the thing that no ministry dares do. He says, we got plenty. For years, I would be afraid to say that. Because my human side says, that someone out there that might want to write a check might think, oh, they got plenty. I'll write the check somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, when I worry about that, I've put my eyes on who to take care of me instead of the Lord. People. There's a balance here. Those in ministry should say, whether you give me money for it or not, I want to share with you the gospel. I want to teach you and preach the word of God. Those who are receiving the spiritual blessing should have an attitude that says, love that attitude, but we still want to bond it. We want to bless you. And folks, when the body does what God has designed, preachers preach without worrying about paying the bills because they got money and the people are blessed 
here's what he said. Remember, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Who was that written to? The church who had just what? Given to Paul. We love to quote, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And yes, he'll take care of you. But he's also promised to bless those who trust him and bless others. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verses 6 through 15. Look at what he says. Don't miss this. He said, the point's this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, He is distributed freely, He's given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the, min the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. Paul said, look, if you will trust God and be generous to people and bless people, he will give you more so that you can share more. By the way, this verse that they quoted from here in verse 9, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Does anybody know where he's quoting from? Very good. It's in Psalm. Psalm 112. Go to Psalm 112. There's something here in Psalm 112 that connects with all this. Look at verse 5. Actually, let me back up. Go to verse 1. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He's gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart's firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He'll not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Oh, the wicked man sees this and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Isn't that amazing? The context of what Paul's quoting from in 2 Corinthians 9 is Psalm 112 where it says, The person who's generous will be blessed by God so they can be generous with others. And folks, I just want to share this with you to say our family and our ministry have experienced this. I'm not going to preach health and wealth. And if you just make a donation to our ministry, God will pay your house off in the next month and all this stuff. No, that's foolishness out there. However God wants to do it, it's however God wants to do it. But let me tell you this much. There's a lot of passages that talk about the generosity of God and how we're to be generous. And let me ask you this question. Would God ever ask you to be something he's not? So if God says he wants us to be generous, 
What does that tell us about him? He's generous. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear him, those who trust him, have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. So there came a point in our family's ministry and our family's life financially that I finally started saying, all right, Lord, I've always been taught to pinch my pennies and cover my expenses and worry about that stuff. And over the years, you've taught us to trust you. And we, I could tell you story upon story upon story about God's miraculous provision for us in times of real struggle. And we just started to do what was crazy and started supporting other ministries. Even though we receive our support from people's giving to our ministry, my wife and I, and I'm not going to give you the number because I don't want you to think we're bragging, but it's an honest truth. We support easily 10 to 15 maybe, at maybe more, individuals or ministries, and we keep looking for more opportunities. And the more we give it away, the more God says, hey, that's what I want to see you do. Here's some more. Keep giving it away. And we have a phrase, and my kids will tell you, what do I say about money? It's only money. It's only money. It's a tool. It's not something you store up. It's just money. God tells you to do something. It's just money. I hadn't planned on sharing this, but I think I'm going to because we're going to kind of wrap this up a little bit here tonight and continue on where we left off next week. But I have shared this with some of you. I haven't shared this with all of you. But this past Christmas, we're coming up on a year from this time, God was teaching us this some more, and there was a couple in our church who were widows. And because of COVID, they were planning on going to visit their family, but they weren't able to go visit their family. And so God kind of told us, he wanted us to take them out and bless them on Christmas Eve. So um, our church was having Christmas Eve services, and this is back during COVID, and you had to sign up for which service you were going to so you know how many were coming. And so we contacted these two widows, and uh, we, con we said, look, we know you're not able to go see your family because of COVID. We want you to be a part of our family. Would you come to the 430 service with us, sit with our family, and then after that, we want to take you to Olive Garden to dinner, our treat. They're like, well, that'd be great. We love Olive Garden. Now, let me give you a little backstory. We had already done some early Christmas sharing and present opening with family. And my brother, Jeremy, who doesn't have a lot of money, actually gave Becky and I each $50 gift cards to Olive Garden, which was way out of his budget, but he was generous. And we now had $100 to start with to share at Olive Garden. So we... Invite these ladies, we go to the Christmas Eve service, we then drive to Olive Garden in Merritt Island afterwards, and we sit them down and we explain. And by the way, we invited our kids to come, and we're sitting at this big round table, and I said, ladies, here are the rules. We've already got $100 to start with that's not ours. Tonight's going to be a night where we bomb you with food, and we want to bless you. We want you to act like we're millionaires. You eat anything you want, you take stuff home, you better not have just water. You better order a soda or an iced tea. I'm not buying any alcohol, but you are not drinking water tonight. And our kids looked at me like, are we allowed to have soda too? I'm like, yes, even you. You're allowed to have soda tonight too. Dad's rich. We're going to bless you. We're starting off with money that's not even ours. And I said, I want you to get appetizers. I want you to get dessert. This one lady, we hadn't even started looking at the food menu yet. She goes, well, I've already been looking at the cheesecake. I'm like, well, you better get the cheesecake. This other lady says, well, they got donuts here that are amazing. 
like I didn't even know Olive Garden had donuts. And by the way, they are amazing. So we order sodas, we order tea, we order appetizers. I want the calamari. We, we filled this round table with food and then I said, oh, they got this deal where if you actually just pay so much more, you can take another whole meal home. You ladies are taking meals home. And folks, let me just tell you when the bill came, it was in the hundreds of dollars. We had spent the wad, but no big deal. We got this gift card and we're gonna, by the way, they got those little machines where you have to pay the bill yourself at the table. I'm not real good at those. So I always tell Becky, would you just take care of it? I'm not really good with technology. And so Becky takes the machine and we calculate a very generous tip because we had worked this waiter a lot. And she goes to swipe the first gift card and the thing says zero. We're like, what'd you do? She goes, I didn't even get to swipe it. And now it says its balance is zero. So we call our waiter over and we said, uh, we were trying to pay the bill. We had just calculated the tip. We go to swipe this first gift card and now it says our balance is zero. He said, let me go in the back and see what's going on. I said, while you're at it, could you take these two gift cards and make sure there's still $50 on each of them? Cause we don't know what happened. So he goes in the back, he comes back and he said, there's still $50 on each of these gift cards and your check has been paid by somebody else. By the way, one of the widows looked at me and said, you still owe us a meal. <laughs> so, so I'm a little confused. I'm like looking around the restaurant. Okay, who paid our bill? Because that's happened to us a few times. I'm a little noisy, a little bit noticeable, and people have paid my bill, and we've paid other people's bills. It's fun. And I saw the waiter. I said, who did it? He goes, I don't know. I'm looking around the restaurant. I still don't recognize anybody. I said, hang on. I said, I've paid people's bills. You have to go to their waiter and say, I want to pay their bill. You don't know. He goes, I really don't know, but your bill has been paid. You're free to go. I said, let me ask you a question. Did they tip you good? He goes, actually, yeah, they tipped me really good. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You've been so good to us. He goes, no, 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 they tipped me great. I said, no, don't worry about it. Here's $20 more. And I handed him a 20. He said, well, thank you very much. We go home baffled. Three days later, we found out who actually paid the bill. You know who paid the bill? We did. See, what I didn't tell you was when my wife grabbed that little machine, she had in her left hand the credit card we were going to use to pay the balance, our credit card. And it's one of those ones that you just tap it and it pays. <laughs> Becky said, I was so generous, my left hand didn't know what my right hand was doing. Three days later, we're looking at our credit card statement at her parents' house at Christmas, and we just start laughing. We were the generous benefactors. And then it hit me, and I gave him $20 more. But you know why we were so willing to be generous? We didn't think it was our money. We thought it, we were starting with $100 that wasn't ours. And then once we thought someone else had paid it, here's more. When you get to that point, you will be a blessing and an encouragement to the people around you, and you will start to really experience the joy of trusting God. I'm going to encourage you. If you're out there tonight and you're worried about money, ask him to show you what he wants to do to do to trust him. And just let him show you that next step. It's going to be baby steps. If you're in ministry, 
Stop figuring out how you're going to cover expenses. When this next book that, Beck, uh, that Lisa and I have been working on, and Lisa's just about, we're about to be in the printing phase. When this book on Revelation comes out, I'll tell you right now, they are free. We're going to give them everywhere. We'll pay for shipping and handling. Don't worry about it. God will take care of us, and he has and he will. Paul said, I've wanted to come and use the gifts God's given me in your behalf, and I've also wanted you to bless me. And we're going to close tonight. Go back to Romans 1. There's a second part of that harvest. Look at what he says here in verse 13. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but this far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul always had a desire to preach the gospel where the gospel was fresh and a desire to see a harvest of souls coming to Christ. Jump over to chapter 15 real quick. Look at verses 14 through 21. Look what he says there. Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. Then I have reason to be proud of my work in God, for God. For I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never heard, who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul said, the call on my life is to preach the gospel where people are fresh and they haven't heard it. By the way, the call on Jim Johnson's life is to not preach the gospel where it's not been heard, but it's actually to talk to Christians who have heard the gospel and come to know Christ, but to get deeper in their walk with him and to actually know what it means to actually walk in the spirit and to obey the word and do it, let the spirit of God work through you. That's my calling. All of our callings are different. But Paul's desire was to go and reap a harvest, not only a financial blessing from them, but also of souls of Gentiles in that area. And as we saw last week, this gospel's for who? For everyone, both Jew and Gentile. Back in chapter 1, he uses these different terms. He uses the term uh, to Gentiles and the Greeks, to barbarians and the wise and the foolish. Those are all terms that just talked about the Jews and the Gentiles. And, some, and they were all being Hellenized, and that's what they called the Greeks. But there were some that weren't willing to be Hellenized and learn the Greek culture. and They still spoke in their native tongue, and they were kind of called barbar or barbarians or whatever. And he said, I want to preach to everybody. The wise, the foolish, the barbarians, the Greeks, the Jews. That's my desire. So the, if the gospel's for everyone... If the gospel's for everyone, why does it say in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Has the gospel always been to everyone? 
No, no, we dealt with that last week. The gospel's always been there for everyone. That's what we're going to deal with next week when we come back together, the answer to that question. If the gospel's always been for everyone, Jew and Gentile, and it has always been for everybody, it didn't all of a sudden start becoming for the Gentiles. It's always been for everyone. I'm going to lay that out for you scripturally next week. But the question we're going to wrestle with when we come back together next week is this. If the gospel's always been for everyone, why does it say to the Jew first and also the Greek? That will be answered next week, and you're going to have to wait until then. I love you. Thanks for coming.